You remember. Roll your stealth roll. Game books, pencils, pizza, cheese puffs, and a hell of a lot of dice. And the dragon woke up. Roll for initiative. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast, where 1E is the place to be. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast. We're at volume 6, issue 181. I'm Vince, sitting alongside Nick. Hello, everybody. Matt calling in via satellite. Hello, everyone. And back by popular demand, Crispy. <laughs> hey, what's up? Crispy, how you doing, buddy? Good. I'm great. Uh, I'm in an echo chamber. Yes, uh, in an echo chamber. For, sorry about that. Your apartment is, starting, is bare right now. I'm starting to feel ill. <laughs> yes. I know at least three people who written in and now just vomited across the floor <laughs> my understanding was it was one guy but three jeez come on i think we got three separate emails it was one person writing for three people probably <laughs> i don't know but... it's the the most hyperbolic thing i think i've ever heard is the sound of that guy's voice makes me want to vomit come on get over yourself Crispy's Sorry, nauseous. everyone else is great. RFI nauseous, listeners. baby, but never vomit. Mm. No. It's Crispy, the infamous Trask, who no longer knows how to do the voice, apparently. I I would have to listen to it and try to reclaim it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Crispy, tell us what you've been doing since you've been gone the longest here. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. I... Started playing Magic this year. Uh, we can forgive you. So how's your bank account? It's low. It is very low. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Surprise. yeah. Uh, not a lot of returns on your investments in Magic the Gathering. No. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I finally got some Mouse Guard games going. I'm currently working on a new Mouse Guard campaign for some friends. Um, I moved recently, which is why this echo is happening. Uh, I don't own a lot of things yet. Uh, what else, man? Uh, started a new job, all kinds of life stuff. Yeah. That's all and, good uh, stuff. Sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, our trying to. Our crispy's growing up. I am. I am. Oh. I got a, a real oh. person job recently with PTO and benefits. That's weird. I've never had that before. Yeah, it's different than working in borders, right? It is. It is. So what are you doing right now, if you care to mention it if at all? I don't know if I can give too many details, but I'm doing uh, inbound billing calls for AT&T. Oh. So you're so like handling that. people's billing issues and stuff like that for uh, people who have, like, higher than normal bills, like uh, ah. bundled services. So they have, oh. you know, four to $600 bills. Oh, probably like for like small businesses and what have you. No, uh, like. they have uh, like they have their own uh, fiber optic internet, uh-huh. as well as like their DSL uh, in certain areas, and oh, as well as TV. So, people who bundle all those services. Okay, I know. get you. I understand. Yeah, sort of like yeah, how. Uh, like- yeah, it's not like uh, uh, well, sort of like what we have for our service at home here. Mm-hmm. So are you like yeah, accounts know receivable or something, or accounts payable, or? Uh, I I don't know. I just started uh, this week, so we're still in training. 
Mm. So I haven't gotten too many details about exactly what we're doing. You just know it's a paid pay job, that's all. Yeah, uh, they're paying me more than minimum wage, and it's full-time, so... Less than a bread box worth of money, and... <laughs> yeah. Beats living in a cardboard box, so... It does, yeah. Uh, okay, Sweet. cool. Um, Nick, any news about your games going on? I know you were playing with some kids there for a while. Yeah, well, uh, I think I said in the last episode, we uh taking kind of a break during the summer. Yes. Uh, my friend Frank's doing Aces and Eights Western role-playing game you know, by, by Ken's Aaron Company. Mm-hmm. And we just had our second session last night, which ran really late. You know, next thing we know, it's like a quarter to two. Hmm. And so, yeah, we, we were playing for quite some time. It was still fun. We were... We're on our train to uh, on the train to uh, this place called the Cauldron, the Cauldron, which is kind of yeah, it's a disputed area out west, and um, yeah, we got in a nice little gunfight. I I learned a few things such as um, you better just like with any sort of missile weapon, you better be damn well sure where you know you're shooting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, because uh, my primary weapon was a lever-action rifle. It's a basically a what was it a, like a Model eighteen sixty-three lever-action Winchester. All right. And yeah, and uh, yeah. So like the, I'm using that inside the uh, the uh, first-class car. So like my next opponent's like maybe fifteen feet away. I got all these great bonuses, and I still missed one time. And Frank's like, okay, roll again to hit. Because where your shot landed, or where it was going, it was there was the next immediate person behind him, and I shot a lady in the foot. <laughs> Oops. But that's okay, because she was, she was bad. She was a bad person. So it kind of count. It, it, it was kind of a wash. So wow. the cool thing was we had props last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because Frank brought his uh, double barrel sixteen gauge shotgun. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> real? One? No ammo. No, oh. yeah, real. Wow. And I brought both of my. Uh, I got like a collection of guns at home, and um, I acquired a couple of years ago. And the two that are like my pride and joy from my wife's uh, 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 stepfather. They're two model 1894 Winchesters. Uh, and I looked up the serial numbers Yeah. Uh, a few years ago. Uh, one serial number, it dates back, it was built sometime in World War II. There was a time that was uh, in Winchester when they were building a lot of these. Yeah. There was about a time frame of about six years where they were, uh, they didn't keep track of them, but it falls within that time frame around from like 41 up to 1946. And uh, the other one, because they built like, what was it, five or six million Winchester Model 1894s during the whole production run? Yeah. So the second one, it's only a six digit serial number. It's like serial number 248 something, something, something. So I looked up 1902. Whoa. Jeez. Yeah. And it's in great shape. Yeah. So it's like 114 years old. And the action's real nice. And I'm, I'm going to take it to a gun. Both of them to a gunsmith just to make absolutely sure that they're uh, that they're shootable. Surprisingly, I could still get the ammunition for them because uh, yeah. I did find it. But yeah, I brought the two as as kind of like props. So 
you know, and uh, that was kind of cool. Everybody wanted to look at them. So no ammo, no ammo for them while I was there. So, <laughs> so no worries. I hope you didn't but, dry fire those. No, God, no. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I made sure guys don't dry fire these. I don't want to wear down the the, the trigger and everything. So, I mean, because even you know, the one that they backs to the forties, that's still pretty damn old. Yeah, yeah. Dry fire knows would ruin it. Yeah, uh, but they're actually both in very good shape. Even the one from nineteen oh two is excellent shape. So, so yeah, we played that last night, and um, that was pretty much it. So we're gonna and just getting ready to go to Origins. Oh, so. that's right. Yeah, that's coming up. Real soon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm leaving uh Wednesday morning next week. So, so five you're gonna have days to give of us a full con report and hopefully record things on your phone if possible. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Right. Okay, I'll try. If I remember. <laughs> well I'll try. I'll try to remember to do that. If if anything I could if not on my phone. You know, I get back to the room, I can record something too. But I'll try to do like a few little things here and there on the phone. So if I see some folks that might, you know, might recognize me or, you know, with my little role for initiative thing on my tag. So I did, I did run into a few people here and there at Origins. You so, did you, uh, oh. I was going to ask if you signed up for any specific games while you're at Origins. Yes. Um, Funny thing is, last year they had a lot more AD&D stuff. Actually, the past two years, I couldn't find anything this year for AD&D or even basic, you know, basic version. Doesn't mean there might not be a pickup game or two or something like that. But um, I did sign up, I think, Wednesday morning around 10 or 11. I'm playing Car Wars, which I haven't played in decades, but... I uh, still fun game to play if you haven't played it before. It's the only, it's the only, uh, I guess you can call it miniatures board game, whatever you might want to call it. That in the rules, if you read them, if there's two people running at each other at ten miles per hour, they could pr- conceivably kill each other. <laughs> That's how a little, it's a little wacky that way. But yeah, I'm playing Car Wars. Uh, I signed up for. A lot of Call of Cthulhu events because uh, a little shout out to an uh, uh, organization called Rogue Cthulhu who do an outstanding job there every year. You know, mm-hmm. they they have um, a whole section there at the convention center where um, they have like a mock-up of Cthulhu. They have black lights and everything. It's pretty neat. Um, and you can earn like uh, you can earn points uh, to get swag from them. You know, you either huh. get like little tokens or cards that tells you how many, you know, for good role playing or you know, good problem solving or what have you, and the uh, points you could get swag from them. You turn in, you get some like, either like books or I got a couple little uh, Cthulhu uh, uh, statues, and um, and they'll accept them whenever from over the years. If you know, if you collect them over the years and they accumulate, they're still good. So, in fact, I think last year they had a guitar. What? <laughs> yeah, they had a guitar, one of their swag things. So, that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, and then, what else have I signed up for? Um, Star Wars, D6 Star Wars. Uh, another group called Sparks. They always put up a good show, real nice folks. And... Um, 
Try to think if there's anything else. Oh yeah, Dungeon Crawl Classics. I finally signed up for a Dungeon Crawl Classics game. I've been really, really chomping at the bit that wanted to play that. So, <clears throat> okay, that's what I've pretty much got signed up for. I'll I'll try to give reports on everything that I play that seems interesting. So, D6 Star Wars is actually one of the games that my group has in the pipeline. Um. They were playing Age of the Empire for a little bit, and I kind of joined in and didn't like it, and I brought up... I have a, a first edition DC yeah. Star Wars game, yep. and I was showing that to them, and I was like, yeah, this is really, like... It has the feel of the original trilogy, the original mm-hmm. trilogy. It's and very uh, theatrically... Yeah, the game mechanics are so basic, and that's why it's so theatrical. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I really, really like that game. Um, if you're going to do that, look for what's called the re-up rules, yeah, re- yeah. revised, expanded, upgraded. Okay. Yeah, they're amazing. They're free. So huh. it's like a PDF of like 500 pages. So oh, God, so many pages. Yeah, but still, it's amazing. Yeah, the re-up rules are amazing. Cool. All right, hey, Vince. So what about on your neck of the woods? What have you been doing? Uh, as we know, we just I just got done with North Texas RPG Con, got back from that, had a great time there, um, spending around, running around, interviewing everybody. Um, the audio actually was really good on that microphone I had. Um, it was a Samson microphone that attached to my iPad, of all things. Wow. Hmm. Uh, Crispy, you listened to the episodes, right? I did, yeah. Did, how did the audio sound to you? It was great. Uh, I, weirdly, it felt like I was in the room with you, oh. if that makes any sense. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Just uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it felt I, I think with getting the ambient noise and like the the audio focusing on the immediate conversation mm-hmm. with that noise in the background, it felt like you were there listening in. Mm-hmm. It was good. Yeah, I was basically just taking that microphone and at one point just running around trying to find people and. Uh, I, I cut out the parts of me running around, of course, as you can hear. But... I I did get that sense that you were like, <laughs> I imagine you had like a one of those those hip modules that have like a, a a recording tape. Yeah. And you were just running around like a nineteen eighties reporter. I just needed the hat, like you know, Glenn wears with the little press thing hanging out the side. That's about it. <laughs> oh, nice. Trying to get the latest scoop. <laughs> no, but the audio came out good because of the microphone. I was happy, and uh, yeah, I'll be doing that again next year as they're moving to a bigger hotel as the convention is getting even bigger now. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's they, cool. They, they capped it 400-something people, I guess, or a little bit over that, and they b- double-booked a lot of games because there were so many games. They wow. had to find room for them. Uh, next year, hmm. they're moving to the bigger hotel, the Westin near the airport, which is supposed to support about five to 600 people, which they estimate they may have. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. And plus a crispy, possibly. Possibly. Now that I have a, a real person job. Yes. Now you have a. It's like a dog. I, now you're eating real person food now, doggy. Yes. <laughs> I did eat lentils for the first time the other day. Oh, wow. You know, fiber. It's important. Yes, that is. Getting up there. Uh, yeah. What are you are in your 20s? Uh, <laughs> late 20s now. Oh, yeah. Crispy's oh. getting old. Anyway. Yeah. I'm closer to 30 than 20. We know. Crispy's getting old. Yeah, sure. uh, Crispy's growing up. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's cute. Played in um, <laughs> a Gangbusters game with Glenn. He ran in on Friday night. I uh, played in a vampire game. Played in. Uh, I was going to play in a paranoia game, but the DM never showed up, which I was pissed about. Ah, uh, flaked out. Yeah. I don't know what happened because um, Mike, uh, Bad Mike, who runs the convention, said, oh, he checked in and he's here. We just don't know where he is. So maybe it was a late night at the bar the night before on Friday and they, yeah. you know, didn't make it up for the 8 a.m. game that he decided to run. <laughs> oh, that's all. Yeah. Well, whatever. If you're going to go out drinking with the boys, you've got to wake up like the men. So That's yeah. true. Well, whatever. Maybe he might have showed up because I gave him 15 minutes and I was like, pfft. I, you know, I'm not going to waste my time waiting there for longer than 15 minutes. I heard from Tenkar that uh, Tim Cask ran a pretty cool game. He ran, yeah, ran a bunch of games. Uh, I didn't play any of them. I didn't see them at all either. I was so busy running around trying to get interviews and trying to buy stuff. Ah. <laughs> uh. yeah. They had some pretty good stuff I hauled away from here. I threw some screenshots up. I got actually the Scarred Lands. You remember that from 3.0 Crispy, right? Uh no. No? Oh wow. I've purged one. most of uh third edition from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> but you were such a big three E player though. I know. Uh but I have since seen the error of my ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh it was a pretty good sword and sorcery studios uh setting that I got. It was the book was brand new along with the, the map still foiled up and I think the biggest prize that I got out of the entire weekend was the Star Wars D6 introductory set box. Box set, excuse me. Oh, wow. In original wrapping still. Oh, for, Ooh, that's uh, cool. For 10 bucks. Oh, that's a heck of a that's steal. A, yeah, that is a steal. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure about if it was really worth anything, and the guy was like, it's original wrapping. If you want it for 10 bucks, you can have it. I was like, whoa, okay. And then I was talking to James Spawn a little bit later, uh, about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, dude, that's a really good deal. Original wrap, uh, uh, wrapping around it, that's really good deal." I'm like, "Okay, I'm not gonna open." And it. then you promptly ripped it open. Yes, I, I ripped it open as yeah. a thousand nerds around the world just cried and fell to their knees. <laughs> it's as if like a million voices cried out. <laughs> Remember when they did that at Gen Con? I don't know, Matt. You were there that one oh. year. Yes, when they opened up one of what was it? It was a what was it a white box? I think it was it was a white box that had something missing, but it was still in the original full uh, wrapping. No, no, it was a mismatched box top and bottom, and they didn't know what printing the books were inside. And the guy who bought because, it told Cast to open it. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, Frank was auctioning it off and and said, yeah, there was a point where we weren't always matching. We would just grab whatever old boxes we had laying around. And they would sometimes end up mismatched because they were try they were trying to put a date on when this was sealed, yeah. When it was the original printing, and they just couldn't tell without opening. But yeah, I think it went for like eighty bucks. It, it wasn't too terribly expensive, from what I remember. Huh. I but remember. they opened it up right there. The and a million gas just went. <gasps> oh. Yeah, that's what Ta- Cass said. He goes, and a million nerds just cried out now at me. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's weird that I know what you're talking about. The guy who does, uh, who made playing at the world, he also does a video series. Yeah. And he had a whole series about the brown boxes and white boxes and how you can tell what printing things are. And he did mention, he's like, yeah, they, they were building this in their basement or garage. I can't remember which. And sometimes they would just grab what was available. So yeah. you can't Whoa. always tell. 
what the printing is just from the box. As a plane goes overhead? <laughs> yes, I am on location. <laughs> Matt is walking his way to Origins now as we speak. <laughs> yes. Are you going? I didn't know if you were. <laughs> I'm hoping to make it up Sunday. Okay. That is the goal. Cool. But we'll yeah. see if it actually happens. But that's walking. the current plan. Well, email me and let me know. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll try, we'll try to get, uh, we'll try to get in touch if you, if try to show up. Yeah. Well, if he starts Definitely. walking now, he so. can make it there by Sunday. So. Right. Cool. So Matt, yeah. what's been going on with you, buddy? Oh well, um, went back to my Ravenloft campaign. Um, the our wonderful party was on their boat, getting tossed around at sea. Um, had halt. A vicious storm brewed up, had bad hull breach, uh, mass broken, so they were pretty much just stranded at sea uh, in a derelict boat, at which point um, a nice little hospital ship came up to rescue him, named the Mercy, a hospital ship manned by cerebral vampires. Mercy, mercy, mercy. So I think you mean a blue. Oh, sorry. Yes. So uh, let's just say eventually things go awry. And uh, the our half uh, orc or half orc uh, fighter found himself getting uh, his spinal fluid drained, so he's now down to a six intelligence to go with his six wisdom. <laughs> so, oh, well. so uh, he he's a little worse for wear. Um, yeah. And then the entire party ended up captured and stripped of all their gear in one of the cells on the ship. Uh, so they were just stuck, no, had no no spells, no nothing. They're just trapped. And then all of a sudden they hear a little jiggle at their door. And the little 10-year-old girl, the dwarf thief, has been training to be a thief for all this time, saved the day. All right. Yes. That's awesome. So because she was still on their original ship hiding with the 4-year-old boy, her brother. So she once she solved the big fight above ship and how everything went horribly wrong. So she snuck over at night and freed them. So she's kind of that... like Newt from Aliens. <laughs> yes. Yes. So at which point the uh, Eric, he was so excited that it finally paid off. He was like, yes. He, he literally yelled out yes at the table when she made the big save. Awesome. So investing in, investing in children, NPCs does pay off eventually. Yeah. So, that was very uh, cool. Yeah. So that that was the nice little slow build and a nice way to get them out of a terrible situation because I didn't even plan on capturing them all. It's just that they made some poor life choices and ended up there. <laughs> poor life choices. That's the politically correct way to say they were stupid. <laughs> yes. Yes, they, they were decided to battle these kind of head on. Um, they didn't manage to thin the crew down by about half. There was about 15, 16 cerebral vampires on the ship. Um, they got them. They got. They killed like seven of them, but oh, then wow. they were captured because the cerebral vampires have the ability to uh, like confuse and daze. So they would just they would just daze you, then start sucking your spinal uh-huh. fluid. So they they were having issues making saving throws. Yeah, so they got, mm-hmm. but but then eventually they were able to escape. And since they gutted the crew so much, uh, all the crew was on top deck when they were, 
managed their escape underneath. They were able to get their gear and fight their way out. Oh, and cool. so they took over they took over the hospital ship and they're now continuing on their way. Cool. So that's what a strange we hospital ship. <clears throat> yes. Well, basically they go out and uh, they capture people for experimentation and uh, also draining their spinal fluid. Got it. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. But yep, that's been about it. And uh yeah, planning on going to Origins and also over at uh Goodoldgames.com right now. They're having a crazy sale. If you ever wanted to get any of the old gold box games, now's the time. You can buy every one of them for like 22 bucks. Hmm. So the entire Forgotten Realms Master Collection, uh, plus the Ravenloft games, the Eye of the Beholder series, the Alcadim, Dark Sun, all get all of them like 22 bucks. Oh, wow. So, yeah, go do it. Let them take your money. And they also even have like Neverwinter Nights, uh, and a lot of the old, uh, semi-newer Atari games in a bundle too for like 15 bucks you get all of them so if you don't already have them go buy them that just sounds like a really um, cheap plug going on <laughs> yes it, it kind of is a cheap plug but I'm not getting anything for it other than losing money because I'm going to be spending money there <laughs> because I love those old SSI games yeah they're awesome I love them yes Yes, yes, and I was so happy when they put them all up on good old games because I have the original Master Archive collection and the uh, version of DOSBox they were using back then. Not so good now. Combat goes about 5,000 miles an hour, so you can't even really tell what's going on where all the uh, text prompts fly through the screen. So the uh, good old games versions are much better and much slower, so you can actually process what's going on. Okay. You made me go on good old games, and uh, I just moved, so I have no money. Uh, but The Witcher Three is on sale right now. Mm. Yes, twenty five bucks. Matt, I know that's another thing. Killing me. My money. Yeah. It's a GOG dot com for anyone who's wondering. Yes. Oh, GOG dot com. Okay. GOG. Cool. All right, and we do actually have a new sponsor coming out to the network. It's uh, the guy that's running the OpenGamingStore.com. Uh, he's going to get an ad going soon, but I just wanted to mention that real quick. It's kind of, I don't know if you guys have probably seen it. It looked, reminds me a lot of RPG Now. You've probably seen it on Tanker's Tavern. He did a spot for it. If you go to OpenGamingStore.com, uh, you can see the same thing as you would kind of see in RPG Now, but I think the setup is a little bit better on this site. Uh, I like the way it's set up as far as finding things easily and the quick views. And it doesn't seem as like convoluted as RPG now with all the ads and everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you guys want to pop over there and take a look, uh, he'll be, uh, he's up and coming. I mean, it's really cool, this site. If you definitely take a look at it, but you should have an ad in a few days. I've been talking with them about that. So cool for that. Hey, um, can I mention something about Tenkar, if that's okay? Uh, I don't see why not. Okay. <laughs> why am I sounding all pretentious right now? I don't know. I don't you know. sound like a pretentious. That was weird. Mm. Uh, but over at Tenkar's Tavern, they he has a uh, a, a membership mm -hmm. uh, and a Google community that's going on over there. And the reason I mentioned I was over there on Wednesday I, uh, when they have their chat going on from, I think, 9 to 11 on Wednesdays. Yeah, usually. And, yeah, which was really fun. 
and uh, you get if you send an email, it's over there on Tenkar's Tavins uh, website, where you could uh, see we you can get on the community for Tenkar's Tavern dot community at gmail.com and he'll send you in a few weeks a membership card it's really nice looking and he's setting it up with a few places where uh you can get um like special benefits being a tank cars tavern member when you show your card i think he's got he's getting something set up for game hole mm-hmm. and uh, a few other things so no, it's, it's worth checking out tank cars good people so North Texas RPG Con has, uh, if you show the card next convention, you'll get to pick a free Traveler's uh, Judges Guild supplement from Mike's collection. That's cool. And there's also a heavy discount on Lesser Gnome, Zach Glazer's um, Death and Taxes set as well. Yep. So check those out once you get your card. It's free. It's, it's, actual, it's not like... You get a card, like, you get a card. No, these are actual little cards that you can get and keep in your wallet. It's laminated or really... I was talking to Eric about that. He said they're pretty thick cards. They're not little, thin, yeah. flimsy pieces He says of paper. it's a really nice cardboard, so... Because I, I asked him, I said, so is this going to be just kind of like a printout thing that you can, you know, kind of like, hey, I have it. He's like, no, no, it's going to be a thick kind of business card that you can use to show and be proud of i was like oh, okay cool yeah so i just thought i'd mention that because because tankar is good people you know you know him so oh yeah definitely I podcast with him all the time so yeah yeah cool well then let's head right into um dm rules Hey everybody, just wanted to make sure you know about our new sponsor, the Open Gaming Store, run by John Rice, the same guy who created d20pfsrd.com, and sales from the store support the Pathfinder SRD website, as well as his other SRD websites. For every $20 in your order, you get a free PDF from d20pfsrd.com publishing. And if you're a backer on John's Patreon at any level, you get 10% off all orders. So check out opengamingstore.com to support Open Gaming. I don't know who you are, I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Alright, DM's rules this week. We're going to be talking about something I... I actually is well, excuse me, uh, is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> is character flaws, and I think that was one that just went right there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but anyway, yeah, character flaws, quirks and flaws, whatever you want to call them, and uh, you know, just I guess ways we can implement them in your game. Um, some that you know, maybe some systems that already use the character uh, flaws and quirks, and maybe how you can modify them to use for D and D, and or uh, maybe uh, make up a few. So, um, I guess to open it up is because this is something I'm very familiar with. It's they've had quirks and flaws in like the uh, Hackmaster Fourth Edition, and I think, and they still have it in the current edition too. Yeah, and they also have it in their other game, which we're playing right now, Aces and Eights, uh, the Western role-playing game. You have quirks and flaws in there, too. But um, oh, I guess I like them so much is they, they're they not necessarily entirely detrimental to your character, and I just think that they're, they add a little bit of interesting 
background about the character. You know, for example, if you know you get a claw of uh, a claw. <laughs> what if your character has a claw? No, uh, let's say he has a he's he has a he has a he has an ear that's lost. You know that may give you uh, a disadvantage when trying to uh, you know hear noise maybe. But it gives backgrounds like, well, how did they lose their ear? You know, it adds a little bit of a you know character background. So there's there's two ways I think you could use it. One that's already built into a system where. Uh, like in Hackmaster, there's a it, there's a building point system. You mm-hmm. earn BPs for quirks and flaws, depending if they're you know very minor ones like uh, you're colorblind up to uh, you are um, you're an amputee, you know something like that, or you know or you're you, uh, to even mental ones like you're a chronic liar, and they, those have building points associated with them. And in the game, you use building points to, to buy skills or talents and what have you. But it's a double-edged sword. The more quirks and flaws you have, the more disadvantages that you may have as for your player character and might be something that a DM might use against you. Like, I don't know, like, uh, say, for example, you have a trick knee. Your knee, uh, like, just goes out every so often. When the, and, you know, you're in the middle of combat and your knee goes out and then you're in real trouble. So that's, I, I don't know, that's one way I, I think it's kind of offsets a quirk and flaw is you, you get some minor benefit maybe that's mechanics related. So I don't know. Um, what do you think, Vince? What about you as far as quirks and flaws and how, how you might incorporate them into a game? I think first things first is check other games for flaws. Biggest one I would say is grab Vampire. Absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah, grab one of their books from any edition of Vampire. They have an entire book dedicated to flaws and um, advantages. Was it called Crispy? I can't remember offhand. Um, it's yeah. been like yeah. a billion years since I've played. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's flaws and advantages. But anyway, there they have a whole book dedicated to flaws. And most of... Games I've seen close to Vampire have that, so you can grab almost anything like you know, uh, scars on the face, has a quirk, talk, a way, a weird way of talking. Uh, person has impulses. Person acts stupid all the time, though we have chaotic stupid for that. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but I don't know what bonuses I would give for that other than just good role play experience for that. Right. What What does Hackmaster <laughs> give you? Said BP points. Yeah, they give you what's called building points, and you can use those building points when you're purchasing skills or talents. I see. And, and skills are things, for example, like uh, uh, common history skill or uh, writing land-based, and those cost a certain amount of building points. And there's and that's based off of like a uh, an ability plus another die roll, and that's your percentage for it. Uh, talents are like a one-time thing. Uh, that is like those are your those are the things that you're born with, um, things that aren't ne- the things that aren't necessarily learned, like uh, sixth sense or um, you get a sword bonus. Like for elves and half elves, they get a sword bonus. Uh, resistance is another one. Uh, another real good one if you're a human, it's one called opportunist. 
It's like a human gnome or halfling character with this talent is quick to spot any opportunity which benefits them. He is capable wheeler and a dealer. He gets a plus 5% bonus on any percentile die roll for any purpose. So that's a nice little talent. Those are like like the God-given abilities a certain person may have that they're born with. I guess that's what I might want to call it. And yeah, you can use similar. those build- yeah, you can use those BPs when you're doing your when you're building you're creating your character. Yeah, it's similar to Top Secret and Top Secret SI with their advantages and disadvantages because mm-hmm. they have a very similar. It's uh, you have a build system where you t- can take like this the defect like you're nearsighted, so you have to have glasses that gives uh-huh. you points to let you take an advantage where maybe you can figure out math a little better than the average bear or you're extra persuasive in your talk or you're more physically attractive. Um, You can all, or they'll also have things like you're hard of hearing. You Mm -hmm. have like, you're talking some of the the physical defects. Uh, I was actually thinking it would be amusing to play a magic user that had a speech impediment. Yeah. So oh, yeah. <laughs> some, so sometimes the spells don't quite go right because your speech impediment will kick in. Maybe in times of stress, you start stuttering or lisping, and then you could have like a random magic effect. Maybe the spell works a little better. Maybe it works a little worse. You don't really know. That reminds me of my 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 friend Frank in my current like my uh, campaign I'm doing for Castle Greyhawk. He has a character. His name is Cecil Steel Smasher, ah. and he's a he's a he's a spellcaster. So yeah, he has a lisp, and he's, and he's a drooler too. Apparently, he has a gas <laughs> problem too. Um, flatulence is another quirk and flaw as well. <laughs> how about a um? How about a fighter that this that is uh, scared of blood? Imagine yes, that. that is one. That would be a good one, how or even worse, a hemophiliac. You just reminded me of uh, the first gamers. Uh, their wizard has a, a deathly fear of water. Yeah. <laughs> so when they get to the lake that they have to cross, they have to remind him, and he freaks out. Mm-hmm. See, those – a lot of people – I don't know. For me, a lot of people would think, oh, my God, that's terrible. Your character has all these quirks and flaws and stuff. Well, It's memorable. It's memorable. Exactly. Right. And it it makes your character more interesting and – I'm one of those people who likes a character either be in a book or a movie or a TV show that has some, they're not perfect. They have, they are a flawed hero, but they're a hero nonetheless. And I think that makes them a bit more like human down to earth, you know? And it can also be far funner to play too, having that. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. yeah, it'll let you, it, it, and it really depends on are you trying to win D and D, or are you trying to play and have a tell an interesting story? Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to win D and D, you don't want these flaws. But if right. you're playing for the story into telling interesting story, having those flaws add to it. Absolutely. And- I've been on the other end with uh, people wanting to play D and D, where they will take a bunch of flaws to specialize themselves in a certain field Mm -hmm. like just using those you know like character creation points or use in 3.5 you used to be able to take flaws to get new feats right and you would be able to really really focus on doing 
one thing really well the detriment of something that you may not ever use right i just had an idea uh and matt kind of touched on it uh where you're you're wizard with a uh a lisp or a speech impediment rather who uh you know gets it comes out when he's trying to cast a thing uh earlier i had thought of a, a wizard with like lou gehrig's disease or als or whichever it is it's basically the stephen hawking wizard oh mm-hmm. yeah and you know he's he's got all these different detriments but uh man is he good at spellcasting yeah, yeah. see and that what makes an interesting character Wait. because despite their quirks and flaws they can really shine in a in a in the environment how does a stephen hawking wizard cast a spell only verbal components. Yeah, I was going to say. No. He takes all the, the things that get rid of somatic components. <laughs> yeah. Then he uses his, uh, his like, speech generator thing. I'm trying no, to what you do? Psionics, and he's Professor a, X. It's ah. not a... Yeah, oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, psionics. There you go. Yeah. He can be totally... You have to have the party push him around in his chair, but he's got those psionics. And he will just be yeah. in your brain. Psionics. So. Okay, so I, if you if you allow me, just let me a, a, indulge here a little bit. No. So let. Okay, fine. No, go ahead, sure. Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, let's say we were making a character. Okay. Um, and we'll we'll just say he's a fighter. Okay. okay. Just for sake of argument. Um, and we're and we're at a point in the game where we're gonna have a few quirks and flaws with them. I mean, you can... I know in Hackmaster, there's two ways you could do it. And I know in Aces, Eights, there's two ways you could do quirks and flaws. You can roll for them, or you can cherry pick. Mm-hmm. And I always prefer rolling for them. And, I would also prefer rolling, just yeah. so you don't really know what you're getting. Right. Mm-hmm. You can cherry pick, but it usually costs double the build. The It costs... Uh, if you cherry pick, I forget the rule is... Um, well, it doesn't it's, really matter. The, the, it's just a flat 2 BP. You don't get the full BP cost. But anyway, say like we're making up our fighter, Bruno. Bruno the fighter. And we're going to have, we're going to say, we're going to roll three different quirks and flaws. So um, roll on table, let's see, I don't know, 6G. And that is a major quirk, mental. Oh, this ought to be interesting. And he has, he has enmity towards a particular class. <laughs> this and, is a, we're building a fighter. Yeah, and okay. he has enmity towards a class. He has a deep hatred to all people of a certain class. And there is a table for that you roll on. So I'm going to grab this d20. Is so, that like character class or socioeconomic I, class? A character class. Oh, class. I really want to build the fighter who hates poor people. <laughs> Um, and he is, he has, he hates, where, where am I? Uh, hates poor people. Nice. <laughs> he hates thieves. So if he, I was, mean, so do I though. Yeah. This character will automatically attack any person of the hated class. Uh Oh, <laughs> that's a little so bit. Hates, uh, hates thieves of all types. Um, so that could make things a little bit rough in the group. Oh, yeah. Oh, another, oh, no, another major mental quirk. I rolled on the <laughs> same table. 
Um, da, 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 da. And now he has what's called hack frenzy. And basically it's like a berserker rage. Uh, what happens, he goes into a violent rage when he takes an amount of damage in a single combat round that is equal to or above 20% of his current hit points. You're, you said these were detriments, right? Because yeah. right now I'm seeing these as only pluses. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to... Uh, when he goes into this hack frenzy, if he fails his saving throw... Yeah. A character who is hack frenzy must immediately roll 1d8 per level of experience. The resulting sum represents the number of hit points the character must inflict on others before his hack frenzy is sated. Hmm. So, yeah. So if he becomes, you know, eventually fifth level, he would have to roll 5d8. And, you know, that's how many hit points of damage he has to inflict on somebody before he stops being berserk. So yeah, he hates thieves. He's he goes berserk once in a while, and what else? Oh, okay, another mental quirk, but a minor one. So minor personality quirk. He is a chronic liar. <laughs> so hates thieves, goes berserk once in a while, and a chronic liar. He cannot tell the truth from a lie. He lies about everything. Even things that don't matter matter at all. I always thought. <laughs> Many of us, what's that? I said I always thought the depressed cleric was always a fun thing to play. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's another one in here, like depression minor. You know, uh, heal me. Why bother? We're just gonna bother. die anyway. Who cares? <laughs> Need to it's like struggle. it's like the Marvin the paranoid android. Yeah. I was thinking Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, where he's just like, thanks for bringing me along. Actually, this is an interesting Not quirk, because uh, some of the other ones in the book, they do give you a suggestion of a skill that might counter this. For example, uh, a character with this quirk might want to think about investing in the skill Liar Skilled. Huh. So there are some ways that you might be able to counter some of these a little bit. So now we got Bruno the fighter who has who goes berserk once in a while, has a hatred for thieves and is a chronic liar. And we could take all those things and we could build up maybe a background story why he is this way. You know? So maybe he was maybe his family uh maybe he didn't even know his family, you know? That's and he doesn't trust anyway anybody, and uh, maybe that's why he's a chronic liar. He doesn't trust anybody, so he lies to everybody. Maybe he did know, because he didn't know his mother and father. Maybe they were murdered by thieves, and he has a hatred of thieves that goes all the way back to uh, to when to when he was a child, and maybe the hackless thing is a as a manifestation of his anger against the whole world. Ah, uh, uh, see where I'm going with this stuff. Pretty cool. So you can make a cool background just off those three things about your character. So that's why I like them. It, it helps build a background about your character. And, and um, you know, because some people might, you know, when they're making a character, they're like, uh, well, my background story, well, uh, I don't I don't know. He's just a guy, <laughs> you know. So I think there are great role-playing elements associated with Crooks and Flaws. Pretty, I like them. I think they're neat. 
So that's all I got to say about that. Uh, <laughs> I know in uh, in Burning Wheel slash Mouse Guard, you don't have like flaws and bonuses as much as you do just traits, things like ugly or tall or having mm-hmm. big hands. And you can use those to both help you and hurt you. Yes. And uh, it manifests in that you, if you hurt yourself, you get to do more things later on in the game. You can also use it to break ties and rules. Okay. Like, like your, your guy is fat Mm -hmm. and uh, you're in like a chase or something like that through the dungeon, Uh, like a displacer beast. I don't think those exist in burning wheel, but uh, something is chasing you and you, you're playing like a fat cleric Mm -hmm. and, you can use that to uh, hinder yourself. Yeah. And then that lets you take more narrative control in the player's turn, uh, with the player's, like, turn phase, which gives you more spotlight time. Yeah, and I'm sure if we took enough time, we could even see in maybe some of our favorite characters in literature, movies, and television, they have at least one sort of flaw. Well, I got one. The... I, I came up with it earlier. Uh, Elric of Melnubine, that dude is constantly dying. <laughs> right. He's also he's, an albino. Yeah, he's emaciated and constantly on the verge of death. Yeah, because uh, he has to take drugs to keep himself going. Or use his sword you know, when it steals other people's souls right. to empower him. Yep, yep. So he's sort of like, he's addicted to drugs. He's mm-hmm. malnourished. Um, he has like a weird dependent relationship uh, with an abusive boyfriend. And he has to wear SPF 500 million when he goes out in the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but those All kinds make, of flaws. Well, yeah, and they make them very appealing. I mean, even if they're not uh, maybe apparent on the surface, I'm sure if we took enough time, you could see that there are certain characters out there in movies and TV and, and, and in books that there's something about them. It's like, oh, you know what? They maybe are, you know, maybe they're a little bit arrogant or maybe they are, um, you know, if something like a personality quirk, like I'm going with something like arrogance or I don't know, maybe they're forgetful because I'm always saying I don't know. Uh, <laughs> things like that, you know? So... I'm trying to well, uh, so I used to be a, a very big fan of the like R.A. Salvatore Drist books. Yes, well, who was started during the day? I started reading them again recently after missing the last like nine books. Yeah, God, I can't can't do it. The character has no flaws that I can think of. Drizzt does not have any flaws. Not really. Yes, he He's, does. What, what are some of his flaws? Social outcast. I don't think that's. He comes from I... a he comes from a society that, in all intents and purposes, is, uh, to everybody else is a. It comes from a a world that is was inherently evil, and he has to live with that stigma. That's Plus, true. he was an outcast from his own society, you know, for the longest time he was having to deal with that. So, I mean, that's at least one thing. But that's otherwise, true. like physically, not really. I mean, I mean, 
But yeah, I mean, that's I think that's even Drizzt, you know, the the fanboy of like of oh, he's almost a Mary Sue character. Even he's then, absolutely definitely a Mary Sue character. He even he has a couple of flaws in his character. They, you know, outcast from his society like you said, and plus, you know, dealing with the the stigma of of being a drought and trying to uh get around that. So I don't know. I'm not like really sticking up for the character, but it's a good example. No, yeah. I uh I don't know. That makes me question if a character having more flaws than bonuses makes them more interesting. Like I definitely think an Elric or a Conan are much more interesting characters than most of the actually yeah, most of the Drist cast, I think the most interesting one is Regis the Halfling, who is constantly messing up. Yeah, and it's sort of endearing. Like he, you know, he's a he's an awful gambler. Uh, people are often trying to hunt him down for his debts. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Like, does having more beneficial traits than flaws make a character less interesting? I don't know. I mean, hmm. good question. I don't know. I- I don't think you should go too nuts with flaws at all in your game mm-hmm. for your character. I think you should just have maybe like one or two solid things if you really want to do that. But do you balance it out with some advantages as well, or you just play the flaws by themselves? I don't think you really need to have both. Yeah, I personally don't like balancing flaws with advantages just because I've seen it abused yeah. by, mm-hmm. you know, power gamers. Yeah. Um, and also, like, what's the point of having the flaw if it's not actually going to hurt you? Well, I took this flaw because I wanted this really cool advantage, you know, but it's just like, eh. I would say take something that's small enough that it's not going to hurt the character too much, but enough to make him, you know, give him a little quirk. Maybe he has a speech impediment or something. Yeah, something that's fun to play into and roleplay and sort of get a sense for your character. I mean, if you pick a character with a flaw like club-footed, I mean, that's not going to be a fun character to play, obviously, <laughs> because who wants to play a, a... Not that there's anything wrong, or, you know, I don't want to say anything wrong about club-footed pe- footed people, yeah. Footed people, but that'd be kind of a hard character to portray the whole time. But might be interesting, though, for somebody. Yeah, I think, like, Compulsive Liar or, like, uh, Wino would be more interesting to play than, uh, like, a physical deformity like that. Yeah. yeah, or make, personality just quirks. A, yeah, personality stuff like Nat saying. Maybe just taking a generalized ugly trait or like deformed, not like sorry, club-footed listeners. I that sounds way more insensitive than I intended to be. But within the context of a you know pseudo medieval role-playing game, the guy who is a hunchback, you know, he's not he's not winning prom king. I don't think there's many Prom King awards going out for the game, so. Sorry, Crispy. Yeah, it's, okay. it's like in a, I played in a Robotech game where the one of the players, his character's physical beauty was a three. So he role-played him as he was he was deformed in an accident and went around to cover up the fact that his face basically melted off. Wow. So that he took in that case like a attribute and made it into a part a, a defect and 
Now he ha- he goes around with this mask to counteract that horrible physical <laughs> and you could even sometimes create your uh, defects and your disadvantages from your attributes. Use these disadvantages to explain why your attributes are what they are if you have something particularly low. Yeah. It reminds me of a – there's an episode of Batman the Animated Series where uh, he's like fighting this – Batman is fighting this like a uh, villain who was an ex-actress who was horribly deformed uh, and she wore like a white mask. And at the end he removes the mask and her physical deformities were all in her head. She was still like beautiful but she had just aged. Mm. So something like that you could do like – you could have them have a trait where they think this thing about themselves, but it's like from an outside perspective, not true, but in their head, it's true. Hmm. Can always go back to the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Robotech first E edition days when they had those really bad charts. Oh my oh, god! Oh yes, uh, becoming gay twice, being being double gay. I can't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. The backlash on that 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 edition got changed real quick. Yeah, it got turned around yeah. real fast, yeah. Even for yeah. back in the 80s, it got changed around real quick. But mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, um, let's go uh, ahead and go into our next segment. Tell us what you think about this first, RFISTAFF at gmail.com. Just wanted to give a quick shout-out to DM Lloyd, who actually put these notes together for our show this week. He uh, sent us a, a, a message in the OSR Gaming Forums, and he had some ideas, and he's like, hey, and I was like, all right, cool, we'll try it out, and then boom. So far, we're, what, an hour into this show, so. Cool, cool, cool. As Thank good you. looking out, Lloyd. Thanks, Lloyd. Let's head into Creature Real MVP. 100 experience points for you. Sure. Let's end the Creature <laughs> Feature. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature Feature Theater. And now we're in the creature feature. And this might be a quick one. Well, <laughs> kind of. Because <laughs> we're going to go to the Monster Manual 2. And Monster Manual 2, we're... Electric Boogaloo. Nope. Yes. Nick. The... Sorry. Because we will be talking about the Quickling. Yes. They are definitely one with the Speed Force when you look at them. <laughs> Because first thing you know, I notice is armor class minus three, movement ninety six. Fast 96. little buggers. Six. Ninety six. Ninety six. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety six. Uh, and these, the quickling are just like slender, fast moving creatures, said to be a race of brownies who dabbled in magic and mysteries. Better left alone. Bwahaha. <laughs> but anyway, basically, they're chaotic, evil brownie-ish sized creatures that go really, 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 really fast. So they're so fast that when they attack, they're just like a blur. Basically, it's like fighting the Flash. And if they're just standing motionless, you can't even see them. Because apparently, I guess, when standing still, they're vibrating so fast, you see through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, like... Uh, they attack with daggers, so they're not really doing a lot of damage to you. But they do get three attacks around. Uh, hit dice is one and a half, so pretty easy to kill if you can hit that minus three. Yeah, and uh, hit a target you can't even see. 
Right, and number appearing four to sixteen. Yeah, and then and then plus, if there's more than ten, you'll have two of them with three hit dice, and then it'll be one with four and a half, and he's the leader. Mm. And this leader will have a poison on his dagger that will cause you to fall unconscious in a sleeping slumber. So basically you have this whirlwind of these little creatures blurring around you, poking you with daggers until they drop you, and you can't even touch them because they're so fast. Oh, and if you think, oh, I'll just start casting some magic. Magic neutralizes fast speed and low armor class. They save as level 19 clerics. Yeah. Level 19. I'm wondering, though, when looking at all their advantages, there is one thing, though, at the first level that I think would still hit them and probably destroy them. Magic missile. Yeah, because that automatically hits. Auto hit, no saving throw. There you go. Fireball. You can good luck fireballing these people. Yeah. But magic missile? First level, just fresh out of uh, magic users wizard school, slaughters them. Because, yeah, at one and a half hit die, one, maybe two magic missiles will, could drop them quite frequently. Yeah. They, and they, since they also are magical creatures, they actually do have magic. Uh, one, they have several spell-like powers they can use one at a time, like ventriloquism, forget, levitate, chatter, dig, and fire charm. Basically all your little nymph, pixie, forest-dwelling magical creature powers that they can just use to taunt you. So they, as they're being their little blurs, poking you with their sharp pointies, they can also then be throwing their voice over to the side, taunting you. So you can't even use sound to key on exactly where they are. So these and so these are basically just really annoying things that could actually uh, destroy a party. Oh, they again, can TPK a party like a maybe first or second levels rather easy. Yeah, even yeah. higher levels minus three is a bit difficult to hit. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially if you don't go with twenty auto hits. Because at that point, a level three fighter would have to roll a natural twenty to hit. Mm-hmm. Your other classes aren't hitting. No, a minus three. That's that. true. So, so yeah, these are just nasty, and they also have one other little. They do have one little drawback. They don't live very long because since their accelerated rate of motion, they age quicker than the normal. Fairy folk, and uh, they only live about 12, 15 years. So they also grow up rather rapidly. But these, I've never actually used them before. I flipped through the monster manual, and I've seen them. And it's like, they they're evil alignment. They're high to a genius intelligence. So they should have like their own civilization. And and I just, but I've just never really thought of how to put them in my game. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything even published that had quicklings in them. I don't recall anything. No. Right. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. It's like it's something in the book that never gets used. I don't know anyone that's ever actually used it. I think well, a, I, I think a seditious DM would, like me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining, say they wanted to decide to start kidnapping babies. 
well. Oh yeah. If they wanted to. They would be the greatest at like stealing pe- baby rock, cradle robin. Oh yeah. With that speed, I mean, especially if, or if they just decided, hey, we just want a lot of loot. They'd be great thieves too. You know, and then and then all of a sudden it's like you're in Central City and you're Wally West or Barry Allen doing battle with your villain of the week. I mean, I was just thinking, just from the very first sentence, when they said they're a race of brownies who dabbled in magic and mysteries better left than lo- alone. I'm kind of curious, actually, what what was the magic and the mysteries that they dabbled in? Uh, how they got to be that way, you know, that would be an interesting background for them. Of I think that begs to be fleshed out in some fashion. You know, I would right. love to kind of delve into that. It's like, how could a fairy folk who learned about either some sort of black arts or some forbidden knowledge became this race of, fast-moving, malicious, evil creatures. You know, how, and you know, what, who or what facilitated this? You know? Maybe that was the dark arts they dabbled in. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, like, who, uh, like, who uh, amongst their people maybe wanted to start this, or was it, or were they tricked into it? Or, who knows? Yeah, is it more of a curse than it is something they sought out? Yeah, you never know. Maybe it was more like of a curse. I mean, that's a that's a potential that's a potential thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Because you have that entire story of trying to trace their history and mm-hmm. what is this, and maybe they're actually pawns in some bigger game by some dark powers from another world or something. Yeah, maybe some another, demons uh, or yeah. you know, a great demon lord. Maybe they're right. a pawn for what, like a demon lord or, or a prince of hell. Who knows? Right. Maybe, maybe even going along with your premise of like they're stealing children. Maybe this is a way they think they might have to break the curse. Right. You know? They must sacrifice so many children or find the one. Yeah. Oh no, we're velving until that almost sounds like the plot of Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, I just realized yeah. that. This the baby with the power, something. <laughs> baby with the power working for the Goblin King. There you there go. You go. Boom. If you were to use like a Celtic mythos in as the basis for your campaign, these could just be the like the uh, Anshali uh, mirror to brownies and and fairies or brownies uh, and pixies could you elaborate on that i'm not familiar uh the anche are uh is that what it's called or the not sorry the uh there's the seely elves and the in Celtic mythos there's t- two types of elves there's good elves there's bad elves uh elves is all fairy um mm-hmm. and so you know you you have your pixies and your brownies and they're sort of like the good version of this and then in the sort of more dark fey aspect, like the deeper into the primordial forests. Um, you have the quicklings, and they're sort of the dark mirror. Oh, I see. Seely okay. and unseely. There we go. That's... I got you now. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I remember what you're talking about. Okay. That that would be a cool twist. Mm-hmm. And you could still use the baby stealing, uh, because 
You know, uh, that's a thing that Celtic Fae would do. Right, because they, they would... would steal children, and eventually those children, they would turn into fake creatures. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, cool. Interesting. I guess uh, send us an email how you would use these creatures. Let us know. RFISTAFF at gmail.com. 570-865-4210 is our hotline. 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 Where we have um, goblins standing by now, right? Did we see yes, that? goblins. And one quickly. And what? Oh, wow. He's that fast he can answer the phone, huh? Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, let's Several at once. Let's head into the treasure chest. Zach Glazer, head of Lesser Known Games here. In November, we will be running a charity game using our newest box set, Death and Taxes, to support the Extra Life Foundation to benefit Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. <coughs> Um, you could support this ever by going to extralife.org and making a pledge in the name of Robert Glazer or going to lessernome.com slash children. Robert Glazer? No wonders you go by Zach. Listen, let me show you how to do this. I cast charitable contributions. You will now go to extralife.org or lessernome.com and make a generous donation to Help Children's Hospital. You can even write it off both your death and taxes. See what I did but- there? But don't interrupt me. And my Saber Die podcast minions will have a nice pledge link right on the webpage of this very episode to make that easy. Ah, that's great, Thopus. Thanks. Don't mention it, Robert. You have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. Today on Treasure Chest, we're talking about the Mirror of Opposition. Uh, this is one of the kind of iconic D&D magic items when I always think of old school D&D. The Mirror of Opposition is always in there, along with, you know, uh, things like uh, the Deck of Many Things. Oh, yeah, yeah or, the Bag of Holding. Yeah, it's just such an iconic artifact yeah. that you you hear stories from old grognards when they're te- when you're like just getting into the game and they they tell a story about oh i walked in and then i had to fight my my double and where do you guys think this comes from oh that's interesting i never yeah where does that idea of the mirror opposition come from hmm I mean, it, it goes it goes back to the whole fighting your evil self versus your good self. I mean, you think of Star Wars, right. think of uh, anything, any trope that goes yeah. that. So, yeah, the physical manifestation of fighting the good the, of the evil and good in you battling. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just the physical manifestation of that. Sort of like confronting your id, I guess, psychologically. Yeah, speaking? something like that. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. hmm. Okay, and this somehow. Maybe this mirror kind of taps into that? Yeah. Okay. I would think so. Yeah. Okay. I could go along with that. That sounds pretty cool. So I guess with this item, you see your mirror image of yourself, and it would come out to attack you, according of to... Of course, it. they have a goatee. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Yeah, I, I also always think of, like, a transfer accident <laughs> spawning your goatee double. That's right. <laughs> yes. So, okay, we all know the basics of this mirror. Look at yourself, blah, 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 carbon copy, you know, goatee, Spock, whatever, mirror universe, comes out and attacks you. Now, what happens if the mirror image looks inside the mirror to see itself? Does that create another version of you, or? Oh, I never, so you, 
you like like say for example you found out there's a mirror in, of opposition in a room and you're going to use like another mirror to no the, the actual crispy you have the thing in front of you correct yeah uh this mirror what exactly resembles a normal mirror any creature reflected in its surface will cause an exact duplicate to come into being and this opposite will immediately attack Note that the duplicate with, uh, will have all items and powers of the original, including magic, but upon defeat or destruction of either, the duplicate and his or her items disappear completely. Okay, so... So here's how I would play it. All right. Is that you look in the mirror, you see your, your double, and your reflection sort of steps out of the mirror. Right. Yeah. That yeah. mirror doesn't reflect anymore. You're fighting the actual physical manifestation of your reflection... Right. And then when you kill it, hopefully, and it disappears, it appears as a corpse back in the mirror. Oh, okay. So you're saying it won't huh. reflect anymore once the, the image steps out? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Could you have some fun yeah, to DM and say that it still does reflect? And then if that evil character looks inside the mirror, he sees another version of himself and there's a third party that'll step out to fight the two? But yeah, but no, he would only that one would only fight the evil one because it's the good one, and then you just end up like the multiplicity with like twenty thousand copies of yourself, like your Jamie Madrox multiple man. Or oh, that uh, would that would stink. Or that movie with Michael yeah. Keaton when he has like a hundred of himself running around. Yeah, multiplicity. Yeah, multiplicity. Yeah, yeah. I'm, or I can also see the players capture a mirror of opposition and start using it as a weapon. Hey, there's the dra dragon in the lair. Pull out the mirror! And you make yeah. the dragon see its reflection. And I've now you have dragon on dragon that. violence. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it used in that sort of fashion before. Once, like, someone defeats their their twin, yeah. and yeah. what they'll do is they'll immediately cover that mirror, maybe, like, stuff it in a bag of holding or something like that, and then they'll say, okay, next time we go up against, like, the big bad guy... We're going to pull this sucker out. Well, what if the player loses and his character dies? Now, do you hand oh, the new character over to the player and say, okay, play it out as if you're still your character to fool the party and then destroy the party within? Do you say, too bad, so sad, make up another character? How would you handle that, Nick? That's interesting. I guess it might depend on the situation. For example, if the person who was fighting their twin, if they were alone, then... I might play it out to where when if the evil twin succeeds, uh, then, yeah, they might devise a way of, like, uh, you know, trying to deceive the party. But then he would have to, cut, you know, shave off his goatee. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no goatee. Um, that's just the dead giveaway. Um, yeah. Personally, if, uh, it, if it was alone, I would stop the whole group right there if he was alone by himself, which I've noticed people do all the time, but... And then I would take that player to the side and roll out that combat and come back right. and not, never tell the party what happened exactly. So they would be yeah, I would play it the same way. Yeah. I would definitely say that the mirror version is he. If you're a, a right-hander, the mirror version is like a left-handed guy. Yes, just right. and right. throw out subtle little clues to the party. Be like, oh, like you notice something's weird, but you can't quite place your finger on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Stuff like uh, that. I like the idea that the the mirror dimension is some kind of like awful hellscape, and uh, these reflections are trying to escape through these mirrors. Ooh. 
But if you and uh, if you lose, you get trapped in the mirror dimension forever and ever. Ooh, ooh, that's ooh. even better. You're trapped in there forever and ever. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and it doesn't really say in the description if what if multiple people looking at the same time. Well, I would think you know? multiple characters would come out at that point. Right. Yeah, that's what I would think too, because there doesn't say just one person. I would assume. Like if like two or three people were looking at it at the same time, yeah, two or three uh, evil twins would come out. Yeah, or or just think you look into the mirror, the your opposite comes out and attacks, but either you escape or your opposite escapes. Now there's another one of you running around that's evil, besmirching mm-hmm. your name. I don't know if a whole party would be able to be reflected in the mirror though, because. It says it's the it's a normal mirror in size, and just above that, it says the typical mirror size is five foot by two foot. Mm-hmm. True, but I'm I'm like going out the premise like this person like say one character in the party, and the whole party's around, and that one person actually looks at their reflection, and then they are they're attacked, and then just by pure bad luck. Another person in the party is looking in right after that the mirror, and their their double comes out, and so on oh, and yeah. so on. That's totally fine. But I, I thought I was under the impression that you meant like the whole party is looking into the mirror, and all of their doubles come out at once. But like one at a time, nineteen seventies ninja movie style. That's, that's what I meant. Yeah, I think so too. That would be cool. <laughs> we'll have them. Also, do you think you need to look into the mirror to activate it? I think well, it just see your reflects you. Well, it doesn't say you see it, your reflection, doesn't it? No, yeah. any creature reflecting in the surface. So then, no. You don't so you can just look. walk past it and your doppelganger pops out. Yeah, and then yeah. he immediately attacks you. He gets a surprise round because you're not expecting that. Well, But you also brought up the thing about this is a one of those quote-unquote cursed magic items that could be used for good purposes. Like, if you grab it and you cover it up, the next time you go up against the big bad guy, you you pull this thing out and he reflects himself. It's a good way of you know getting around such encounters. Yeah, with he the does. nasty dragon. The double has all of the same powers as the original, and including magic. So if you're you know you're fighting a, a lich, pull Ooh, this out. Wait. Boom. What about good if you're fight, What if you're fighting a demon or a devil? Could Ooh. they? I, I think, I don't know. For me, I think the the dimensions of the mirror limiting the size of what can be reflected is how I would play it. Hmm. Well, let's say if they were if they were fighting, I don't know, not necessarily a very large, you know, demon or a devil, but they're relatively human size. Oh yeah, know? then that would be fine. But if you're you know fighting like a Baylor, something that's 12, 15 feet tall by, you know, five feet wide. I just think the dimensions, it, it wouldn't capture the whole of what is being reflected. Well, I don't think it has to reflect the whole person. Think of it as like a window. Don't think of it as, as, as a mirror, as a more as it's like a window to someplace else. Mm-hmm. If you look at it that way, then it, it could make sense even for larger creatures like, you know, even... Uh, uh, like a 10 foot you know you know like an ogre you know it would still make sense 
because if an ogre is reflected on it, it would just kind of, uh, it would see itself like hopping out of the mirror like it, it was hopping through a window, you know? Here's my question. If you're looking into the window, would an an ogre be able to fit through a five-foot-by-two-foot door? I don't know. I don't know, five-foot-by-two-foot? Yeah. Yeah. They'd punch down and get through? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I don't know. I would It'd probably a, have the, the... be a tight fit. <laughs> it would be. I was thinking about the the thing sneaking, the doppelganger sneaking out when the the players least expect it. Yeah, and how they walk past in that old thing, like they they see the reflection, they walk away, but the reflection kind of stays there. Uh huh. Yeah. And then, like as they walk away, it slowly creeps out and stalks the party, type thing. Yeah. Back yeah, that's how I would play it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be another way of doing it. Plus, I mean, as far as like the size of the creature, in my opinion, it's magic. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> It could be like a whole sort of a jack-in-a-box effect. Hmm. You know, you, you reflect a white dragon in it, and then it, <laughs> it jumps out of the mirror of opposition. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. I think we've given a lot of things to consider for people for how to use it sure. in their home game. Uh, there's definitely multiple ways you could do it. Yeah. No right or wrong way about it either. I guess it's just yeah. long. Like we always say, just be consistent. This is one of those mm-hmm. write-in things. Tell us what you think. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, and speaking of write-in things, we'll head right into uh, some sage advice here, and uh, that's our last segment of the night. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Sage advice. Sage advice. You could write to us at rfistaff at gmail dot com for uh, to write us, and you can email uh, voicemail five seven zero eight six five forty two ten is the voicemail hotline. I did get a voicemail recently, but it's not functioning or working uh, as far as we can be able to hear it. So we're going to have to apologize. And that person who's called in, please do call back as it's a uh, fix now. So it was a little warped, but anyway. I pulled out two emails that uh, we can use for the show today. One comes from Tom, and uh, he basically saw a, uh, what do you call it? a thread on Reddit uh, about how to store your games when not in use for safekeeping, because some people do like to collect like certain editions of the game, uh, of the books, like if you, the Cthulhu book, for example, is a rarity. Uh, yeah. Some people don't want to use that in their games. They want to know how to properly store that book so it doesn't get yellow. It doesn't, you know, the, the edges don't get thing. I mean, yeah, keep it on your bookshelf nice and neat, but you know how bookshelves are. After a while, they sag, or maybe you, you're leaning it. You have one too many books on top of each other, and it starts to crush another book, things like that. Have you mm. considered storing anything like that, Nick? Do you have anything that you like to store? Uh, not really. I mean, I tried... I just do the normal stuff, try to keep them nice and relatively unbent. Yeah. Not too rough in a in a decent bookcase. Uh now as far as 
extensive preservation. I don't know of anything. I don't know how that would how that works. I'm not the guy to go to on that because I've never done that. What I've seen done in the past is actually the whole how people save comic books and put them inside plastic, uh, I guess, uh, seal bags, and you can actually air, air seal it tightly with an air vac. Yeah. Or actually a regular vacuum cleaner attachment on these things and seal it mm. inside there. I mean, it'll stay perfect inside these little bags that you can buy. And I could find the link for that. I saw it online before while we were, t- were chatting during the pre-show. Um, I just lost the link because my browser crashed. Damn it. But, uh, yeah, you can do that. Uh, you can also keep it in uh, plastic container boxes, one or two books just laying in there nicely if you really want to keep a special edition book. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really not a lot you can do in the uh, hermetically sealed room or something if you really want right. to. Yeah. But I don't Touch your bad. books with, you know, wear gloves when you're touching your yeah, books. Yeah, you do a lot of um, um, collecting of cards and things like that. And, and yeah. things. What do you do to collect things as far as those? Matt. Yeah, with with those, it, again, it's like you plastic sleeves. You want, and you want to have most plastics, like the bags and stuff you'll get, acid-free because there was a time when, like, the paper would have acid in it, and that's why it would start yellowing over time is you get the acid breakdown. Um, or the plastic, plastic sleeves you would put them in would have acid in it and start yellowing over time. Yeah. Uh, but it really, it mostly comes down to you want to not touch it because touching it bad and the, just your old oil fingers can degrade it over time. Air is bad, so you, again, hermetically sealing, hence why for comic books now the thing is you get them graded and they're hermetically sealed in this package you can't open with a grade on it. That's like the now the gimmick in comic books, <laughs> which I don't fully understand. It's a book. You should be able to at least open it. I don't care how valuable it is. Mm. But uh, for a lot, for but for maintaining, it's a lot of it. For mo- most people's collections, it's just going to be common sense. You want to uh, store them and basically dry. Keeping yeah. your books in your basement if your basement leaks is a terrible idea. I've yeah. had lots of stuff ruined that way. I have a bunch of old Avalon Hill games I've had to either throw out or replace parts where I left them in my basement. And even though they never got wet, the humidity was such they started to get mold. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you've ever found a book that had that moldy smell, it sat in someone's basement. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I just thought of is uh, – if you're out, if you're either you or a group of people you game with, they're smokers, that'll degrade your book rather badly as well over time. They will start to yellow and they will start to smell. So right. I, I've even noticed that with mine, a uh, couple of books I have, I, I actually have second copies of like my Hackmasters books because those are the ones I use the most over the top, over the past few years. I have one copy that of the player's handbook that's, you know, taped together and the pages are yellowing on the edges and all beat up. That's my gaming copy. And the other one's like my reference copy, the one I just use at home and, you know, just when I have to, you know, just quickly look something up. So, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, Cigarette, cigar, tobacco, 
I can't products. tell you how many books I've bought off Amazon and I get the book and it's just like you open the box from the Amazon box. It's like, woof, you get hit with like smoke or. Yeah, it smells like nicotine or, or like yeah. a pet smell. Yeah. And I can't tell me how I had to put books yeah. inside of like plastic bags with like wet bounces from the dryer for like a week just to get the smell out. Get that smell out. Yeah. Yep. Or or you can also use uh, baking soda too. Get a nice little tub of baking soda, put your book in it, bury it under the baking soda. Doesn't that ruin mm-hmm. the book? Let it that'll absorb the smell too. Doesn't that ruin the book, Matt? Well bury it in that's soda? yeah, I would still end up putting it in like uh, like a bag or something, but just having it surrounded by the baking soda, even plastic will breathe some. Oh, all right. Okay. I didn't think yeah. about that. I know another thing that will degrade your bo- books over time. There are dust mites. They will yep. dust mites over time because they will, uh, the binding, the glue binding, when it, when it deteriorates, they will actually uh, eat that glue binding. And that's where sometimes over the years, the, the when the binding deteriorates, that's, that's a contributor is dust mites. So, hmm. but that's not a whole lot that you could do about it. Just try to keep your place relatively clean. You know, you can never have like a 100% hermetically sealed area, like a vault. No. That would just be kind of going overboard. But there are a few little things that we mentioned. I guess you could help preserve them. You know, yeah. I, then, I, I, then... I just know one of the things like people buy, you know, they'll have two copies of the books like I do. You know, one for gaming, one just that's on the shelf just for rent for it to use once in a while. Yep. And, and then if you have something particularly collectible or valuable, if it uh, there are places that will repair books. Yeah. It can repair the binding, repair that glue that's separating. Uh, even if the pages are wrinkled and folded, those can be fixed. It's not going to be cheap and it's going to be time intensive. But if it's something particularly collectible, it yeah. can't. There are things that can be done to repair damage as well. Yeah. I, I, that reminds me, I even have, even new books, if they're not printed properly, can have damages or defects, quirks and yeah. flaws for books, if you will. And like, <laughs> see, I yeah. kind of tied that in. Like, uh, what was it, 10, 12 years ago, when Call of Cthulhu 6th edition came out, and they were going to have a hardbound version of it, and I was really hot to get it. I bought it. And within a year, uh, the first, like, I think 25 pages or so, the, the gluing was so bad that the first 25 are just kind of popped out in one bunch. Right. And I'm like, okay, now how am I going to fix this? I don't know what glue they right. used. So that's even another thing. Even if the books aren't very old, you know, Take a look at the quality of the binding, the quality of the cover and everything. It, right. And that'll maybe even tip you off. Maybe that's it is is it a good book to buy in the first place? So Yeah, it's like I have a copy of the new Doctor Who role-playing game from Cubicle 7. I bought mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Within like maybe two weeks, the entire binding from uh, the pages to the uh, outer cover separated yeah the now was that a, cur- was that glued or was that glued and saddle stitched it's glued and saddle stitched really and it fell apart I'm yeah the book is still together it's just that where it was where it's stitched together 
is not attached at all to the binding. It's completely separated. The only thing that's holding the book in is where the two cover it has the two cover pages oh, are glued to the front and back of the hardback. So that saddle stitching is like hanging on to that one piece of paper. I right. same right. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that a lot too. Yeah, it just yeah. completely separated, and the the book had only been opened maybe three, four times, and it just yeah. completely separated. So that was just yeah. a manufacturing flaw. Yeah, yeah. But those are things, yeah, you could you could look out for if you can. So I don't know. Other than that, I mean, there's some pretty radical things, you know. You would have to talk to like someone who's a an an anti you know an archivist an archivist or a librarian they would be very knowledgeable in the preservation of books yeah so cool all right so our last email comes from Jerome Hello, Jerome. Jerome. Yes, he has a proper name, Jerome. And he wants to know, uh, have you ever heard of a rule that says, wishes were granted by the nearest divine power? Uh, I can't seem to find this anywhere in any book, any dragon article anywhere. Does such rule exist? Um, never heard of the rule myself. Did do some deep searching around Googling, and I did find something from Wizards of the Coast back from... Where is that? 2005, they wrote an article on their website saying it was an obscure obscure rule from first edition. Where? I never... I think this person is actually making this up. I mean, I have to ask Frank Mentzer about that or Tim Kask, but... Yeah, Frank or Tim or even, you know, Ernest Jr., he might know. Yeah, I'll send Frank a message about that. Maybe he'll uh, figure that one out for us, yeah. but I never heard of that. And it just it actually quotes... Uh, saying in there by Wizards of the Coast, written by Jason Nelson Brown in 2005, uh, one obscure rule that caused lots of trouble in first edition AD and game was that these wishes were granted by the nearest divine power. I've never seen that. Hmm. Yeah, unless it was a dragon article somewhere. They're not even quoting any article. They're just saying this was an obscure where. They don't actually quote where anywhere in the article. Well, that's how obscure it was. I just thought of a place where it might be, but... Are you talking about the dragon article I, about making wishes? And... About, it might be in the deities and demigods book. I don't know. They might have something about that in there. I would have to look through it. But I'll, I'll check. But uh, when I, just before the show, I looked in the DMG, the player's handbook, you know, the description on the spells, wish, limited wish... Anything associated a magic item with wishes, I couldn't find anything. There might be something in deities and demigods. Uh, I just... have a book actually right here next to me. I don't remember seeing anything there. Where maybe it's in like in... The, the subtext of the first bunch of paragraphs. Or... Hmm. Crispy, yeah, I'm you, not. You remember anything I'm about that, Chris? Sure. No. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see anything about wishes right now. Unless it's something about their divine abilities. And that's what I am looking for or as we speak. Uh, okay. Nothing under their standard divine abilities. I don't see anything about dungeon mastering divine beings. 
there's there's alluding to wish yeah i'm i'm kind of under the impression that yeah it's if there was a rule it sounded like more like a house rule sort of thing i don't think it was an actual uh hard rule that was buried somewhere mm-hmm. yeah it just doesn't that just doesn't ring true to me and I'll link the article up for folks to look at themselves and make their yeah. own decision about what they wrote here. But Yeah, and I even mentioned before the show, if that was the case, then why isn't Wish or Limited Wish a cleric spell, not a magic user one? I mean, if we're going to tie it in with, with some sort of god. Well, the gods know? would be the ones that would grant the wishes anyway, I would think. Right. At least. I mean, just following, I'm, for me, following that sort of logic, if you're talking about the difference between arcane and divine magic... So, I don't know. I mean, you could have some fun doing that, just randomly determine which god happened to be sitting at the wish chair. Yeah, Crispy did mention that earlier. You could have some bad results. <laughs> what did you say, Crispy? Oh, uh, it's like an inbound call center where, like, <laughs> all of the gods yeah. are in their cubicles wearing headsets. And you, also, get, the, you, get, in, you get the bad luck and you uh, Cthulhu or Narlothotep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so I guess uh, we'll have to just leave it up to that because personally, I don't think the rule existed. Yeah, uh, I don't if think it's so an obscure either. rule. Uh, it's not anything I've seen or played with. Or I mean, I played with a lot of people that played with Gary personally, and I'm not yeah. talking about like Frank or Tim or Jim Ward or any of those people. I'm talking about people that that claimed to be in his games in the past and lived near yeah. him. And no one ever said anything about wish rules like that at all. So I'm like looking. Do they mean miracle and not wish? No, he no. said wish in no, the wish. email, right? Wish. I'm, I mean the article that uh, by Jason Nelson Brown. No, because the article... like Nick brought up a really interesting point that it says wish. It's an arcane spell, and also demons and genies can grant wishes. Well, it, how does yeah. that? The How's that work then? Talks about what to do. Because you're right, Crispy. That's part of a genie's uh, thing is granting wishes. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well, it'd be oh. great right now to just pull out Frank's number and give him a call up and say, "Hey, Frank." <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, I'll uh, get on Facebook and talk to Luke. I'll talk to Luke, I guess. Maybe he might know. <laughs> yeah, we'll hit up Ernie, see if he knows anything. Sure. Absolutely. He might know, too. It'd be great to figure that one out. I mean, it was good seeing Frank at North Texas this year. We had a, some good conversations, but uh, if I would have known this, I would have been like, hey, Frank. <laughs> Someone just happened to send the email the other day. So, Well, anyway, I guess that's going to wrap up the show this week. And, okay. Uh, yes. And we're going to say, keep it original and keep it old school. And good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. 
This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Thank you.